lie from the empire of lies, a bastion of free speech and open debate in the vast wasteland that is the Biden administration. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is the backstory. So we have some big news going on. Obviously, the Supreme Court came down with their gun decision. So in the first hour, we have Mash Torrey from Black Guns Matter. We'd love to have Mash on the show. And you guess what he's going to think of the Supreme Court decision, Rod? I bet he's in favor of it. Yeah, no, I bet. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll take up that bet. And uh, Clarence Thomas might have uh, took a... Uh, or paraphrase the, the, what uh, Black Guns Matter's Black Guns Matter has been saying that uh, gun control is racist. The, the, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Clarence Thomas said a number of interesting things, writing the majority opinion in the six-three decision today, in favor. I, I'm going to say it's not so much in favor of guns; it's in favor of the Constitution. Do you agree with that bold statement? Yeah, 100%. Lee. Uh, I definitely agree with that. Because he, he did say, and we'll talk about this later, there's not another constitutional right. You need to get perm- permission to exercise it. Right? That's what Clarence Simon said. And the Constitution is very clear on this. And we'll talk about it with Nash Troy in the first hour. In the second hour, We'll venture across the pond, and our friend Ian Schilling will talk about Bojo's recent trip to Ukraine and the reason people are mad at Bojo in his own party over that trip. It's not what you would hope, but we'll talk to Ian about that. And as a guest host, we're very happy to be joined once again by Carter Laren in the second hour. And I have a question about the schedule, and I'll ask it of Rod from Philly, our producer, right after this. Rod, what's the name of the show? You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. Well done, my friend. Now, I was listening to The End of By Any Means Necessary the show that comes on before us here on Radio Sputnik. And they were saying they're not on the air tomorrow. I'm c- confused by Juneteenth. Are we on the air tomorrow? Yeah, we're on the air tomorrow, Lee. Okay, so we're on the air. I thought they might be taking... See, I've heard... You Normally we get federal holidays off, right? That's normal. Correct. But this new Juneteenth holiday, I thought it may have been we didn't get Monday off. Someone said Friday is a holiday. So I thought that might have been it, but it's just they're off. So we'll be here tomorrow. And I'm kind of glad about that because let's talk about the Supreme Court decision that did not come down today. The much-awaited Roe v. Wade decision did not come down today. And today was the last calendar day of the court. But everyone's expecting we'll get the abortion decision tomorrow, right, Rod? 
Uh, that's what I've been reading and hearing, Lee, and uh, that's what expected. Um, I know uh, Corinne John Kier was uh, asked about um, what's the group that's uh, gonna riot. Um, somebody's rage. I, I named after a woman. I can't remember it right now. Jane's rage or something like that. Ruth. James. Ruth, yeah, yeah, Ruth. Ruth or Ruth or Jane. I saw one group that had Jane's name, Jane Rowe. So just saying. Uh, but the Supreme Court decision on abortion did not come down today. But among other decisions, this big decision on guns, and we'll be talking all about that, so I'll save some of that. But uh, I've got to believe, I'll tell you, a friend of mine has the conspiracy theory, Rod. And I don't often, and I say this is a conspiracy theory because I don't have any proof. And neither does he, but he had an inkling of something. So let me run it by you. Okay, Rod? We still do not know the leaker, correct? We still do not know who leaked the Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade, do we? Correct. We don't know who it is. So my friend, his conspiracy theory is that because we've not identified it, it's a Supreme Court justice, like Sotomayor. It's not a lower down. It's it's a Supreme Court justice. How am I doing so far? Does it sound plausible to you so far? Uh, yeah, it does sound. Unfortunately, it does sound plausible, and uh, that would be uh, a main suspect that I would also agree with if, if it is one of them. Now, allow me to be more conspiratorial. He pointed out that what happened a couple hours after the Supreme Court decision on guns? Well, a bunch of Republicans, like 15 Republicans, I think it was 14 actually, said they're voting to end the filibuster to put this gun legislation through. Right, Rod? You heard that in the news, right? Yeah, I did see that. So he was suspicious that all of a sudden, as soon as this Supreme Court decision comes down, that like 15 Republicans announced their support of the filibuster to pass gun legislation. And here's his conspiracy theory. He thinks whoever leaked Roe v. Wade, let's say it's Sotomayor, is still leaking, but she's not doing it publicly. Does that make sense? that she told a bunch of senators, hey, here's what's gonna happen on guns early. And this way they were ready. Now, again, I have no proof of that, but it fixed the fat fact pattern. Does that make sense? No, that definitely makes sense, Lee. And um, I, it was something I wanted to bring up to you that goes along with this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm gonna send you the article later, but the, 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 there's been a 25% rise in uh, armed citizens protecting themselves and shooting criminals. So, you know, um, you know, I know you had all the politicians come out and say that, you know, this goes against common sense, uh, gun, gun legislation and all that nonsense to be saying like, uh, Eric Adams and Kathy Hochul, but uh, that's just something that, uh, I've been meaning to bring up for a while. Yes. And, and it's an important point. And, and the link between gun violence and gun ownership Clearly, New York 
and Chicago show something about the people who are in favor of banning guns. Again, my view, this is a constitutional issue. And Clarence Thomas is exactly right. There's no other right. You have to get prior permission. You don't have to get prior permission before you can speak. They need to make sure what you're saying is in dangerous, right? You just talk, then they get you afterwards. Am I right on that procedure? Yeah, even though uh, some Democratic or actually some politicians, both Democrat and Republican, want to uh, limit free speech. And I think this is, I think it's a broad, a lot of people want to ban constitutional rights. And so we'll be talking about that issue. Now, the other story that I saw, did you see the DOJ official who was raided pre-dawn in Virginia? Yeah, I did see that, Lee, and that's kind of, uh, kind of, I guess, you know, scary in a sense that this, these, these feds keep arresting people who had, you know, I mean, what would be the criminal charge? Right. This is a assistant attorney general under Trump who was talking with him about Trump was considering putting this guy in office to replace the attorney general, and so apparently. He was listening to Trump. As far as I know, it's not illegal to be nominated by someone. And the point is, Trump didn't nominate this guy, right? Exactly, yeah. And I think his name's Jeff Clark, but he's an assistant attorney general, and he lives in Virginia. And he, a pre-dawn raid, he was sent into the street in his pajamas. And they grabbed his devices, his cell phone and whatnot, in a pre-dawn raid. And it is frightening. And I think it shows no one is safe. Did they think this guy was a threat? I can't believe they did. He's a, he's a he, um, thought crime, Lee. You know, he thought that uh, supporting Trump was a good idea. And that's that's against the law, I guess. And the main thought crime, apparently... If we look at the hearings are going back on on Capitol Hill, but apparently a thought crime was listening to Donald Trump at all. This is clearly politically motivated and shows that even people, Trump ultimately didn't do anything. So I don't see even what crime there is, but this shows that even people in the Department of Justice aren't immune from getting the Roger Stone treatment, an overaggressive prosecution. And I, and, and I, do you see what I'm saying? Am I correct in that, that I think it's a, a warning to send out to anybody who possibly thinks of standing behind Donald Trump when we had the Arrests a few weeks ago. Remember the other arrest we had? Uh, you're talking about Peter Navarro? Yes, exactly. Peter Navarro, that's exactly right. Arrested at the airport, put in cuffs. These people, their crimes consisted of listening to the president, not doing anything illegal, 
and these are secret police type tactics. And it's very frightening. Are you a little frightened, Rod? No, for sure, Lee. And, uh, you know, the de- the dem- well, the politicians here in America talk about, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, how Putin, you know, destroys anybody who talks out against him. But here in America, if you have any support for Donald Trump, they'll come after you. Uh, any support at all, if you thought the elections were rigged, anything mail-in ballot, they're going to come after you and lock you up. And these are elderly, not elderly, but these are older men, Peter Navarro, Paul Manafort, Roger Stone. I mean, what threat are they? Right. It we're no threat to anyone. Furthermore, that they can call their lawyer and say, hey, have your guy come down at 9 a.m. Is that right? That's the way they usually handle these things. Because it's a waste of resources. And of course, when you enter someone's dwelling, like Roger Stone's, with guns drawn, there's always a risk, not of Roger doing anything, but that someone's going to get get an itchy trigger finger, right? There's always the possibility of an accidental shooting, and that's why they don't do it. But I, and I I mentioned Roger because that was really the first case that I saw where they made it very clear that they're going after, and even the people who were in the Capitol on January sixth. Now we haven't talked about it much yet. But have you paid attention to the Colbert, the fact that people with the Stephen Colbert show were arrested for being illegally in the Capitol? Have you paid much attention to that, Rod? Yeah, I I actually have. Um, uh, Tucker did a, a great monologue, well, two days in a row about that, and you know Stephen Colbert <laughs> responded, and you know he tried. Uh, Making it, you know, you know, this is uh, this is nothing compared to uh, the insurrection, the seditious uh, insurrection where police officers died and 140 police officers were beaten and all this crap that he was saying. So yeah, I have been paying attention. They were they were detained one time, then they were let go, and they did it again. They entered the Capitol or again, and then they were arrested. So these guys were, you know, adamant that they wanted to to do something in in, in the Capitol. And it's okay because they were going after Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? That's essentially what they're saying, is if you do stuff against Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is a woman that has a uterus, and also, I'm just saying it's a factor, and also is a Republican, and even though she has a uterus, she's got a set of balls on her. I'll say that Marjorie Taylor Greene has testicular fortitude. You agree with that, Rod? Uh, 100%. She's uh, she's called out what's happened to Julian Assange. She's also talked about uh, supporting the uh, neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Now, those are two no-nos to the establishment, that you cannot support Assange publicly, and you can definitely not, not support the neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Now, as I sometimes do, I have a bit of show business trivia for you, Rod. So did you notice that among those arrested in the Capitol— with Colbert's group was Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yes. So if you remember on Conan, Robert Smigel is the guy who did Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. Well, I guarantee you I'm one of the only people in the country that knows this. And certainly 
the only talk show host on Russian-funded media who knows this. But I've told you before, I was friends with Dana Carvey's brother, Brad Carvey. I've talked about that many times, right? You've heard me say that. Correct. Do you know where Colbert and Robert Smigel met? Uh, um, would it be on the set of Wayne's World? No, no, but you're close. Dana Carvey had a very short-lived sketch comedy series on ABC. It was the Dana Carvey show, and he had a sponsor, a different one, every week. So one week it would be like, I, I forget who the sponsors were, but it would be like the you know General Motors Dana Carvey show. And Stephen Colbert was on that show as a writer and actor, and so was Robert Smigel. And that's where those two met. And it must have been 25 years ago. And I don't even know if it's still on YouTube or anything, but the Dana Carvey show, no one remembers it. It was short-lived because the ratings were not good. But actually, it's a pretty innovative show. And do you know who else was on that show? as one of the comedy troupe, aside from Colbert? Big points, big points, big points, name the comedy actor. Uh, would it be Conan? No, but you're close. That's a good guess. Steve Carell from The Office. Ah, uh, okay. And Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert were both on that show with Robert Schmeigel, who did a lot of stuff. He used to be in Saturday Night Live with Dana. That's why I said it was a good guess, because Conan was also a writer around that time. So good guess. But there's TV trivia that has nothing to do with anything. But Smigel has a long career writing comedy. And so I'm kind of surprised at his, his age. He's got to be in his 60s. I'm surprised... And obviously, nothing's happening to them because they're pro-Biden administration. And that's what Tucker pointed out, that these people who broke the same law that the people charged on January 6th broke are facing nothing. And I think a lot of people are seeing that. I was talking about the unfair prosecution and we've talked about it before. The people who were in prison for the January 6th protests, Marjorie Taylor Greene has pointed out they've been treated in prison unfairly, right? And they've been in prison in many cases for two years. Speaking of in prison, did you say Enrique Terrio from the Proud Boys, his hearing on charges of sedition has been postponed. I didn't know. I didn't see that. that, that that's news to me. But it, it it just goes along with you know they're just trying to keep him in there as long as possible. Well, what what actually it's it's good. His lawyers got it. They're saying that they don't think they can get a fair trial while January six hearings are actively in the news. So please put it off. So I put it off about two weeks. 
three weeks, something like that. So I think it's kind of, do you have a prediction on what's going to happen to Enrique? I don't see how he can get a fair trial in D.C. Uh, you? I want to say the case is going to fall apart, uh, Lee. Um, even when we saw that uh, clip where he was meeting with the uh, the, oath ke- uh, the top oath keeper, I can't remember his name right now, um, the uh, the Gateway Pundit put out an article with uh, uh, Rhodes, I think his name is, uh, the guy Rhodes, the Oath, Oath Keeper, where he explained how that meeting happened, and it wasn't, you know, some great planning. They were just meeting for the first time, and that was it. And it was Enrique's cameraman who was just hiding in the car. That was it. So the, And the, what, the, the video looked like they were just meeting. Is that what it looked like to you? It looked like two guys, yeah, it, hey, come here, here's this guy. Yeah, he was uh, the... the um, Oathkeeper Rhodes, I believe his last name. He was uh, uh, doing security for one of the, uh, I forget the woman's name. I think her name's like Christy or something like that. So they were just meeting, crossing paths, and that was it. But they're making it seem like it was a grand plot. So I think the case is going to fall apart. I hope so. But while I hope it falls apart, I don't think it's going to be a fair trial. And a lot of pressure's on them. If they bring a sedition case and they don't get a conviction, the Democrats look bad, right? I mean, that looks yeah, no. bad. The Democrats, yeah, no, I would agree with you. Yeah, that doesn't help their narrative. And I, I'd say, so there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to get a conviction. But, you know, I, I hope not just because we've had Enrique on the show a couple of times. Do you like Enrique? I, I, I like him. Yeah, no, I like Enrique. I like his stance on uh, political stuff and the Constitution and our rights. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't. I think what he did in, uh, you know, burning the flag, I kind of was agitating the, you know, the radical left in D.C. And that's kind of what uh, started this whole thing. This was what started this whole convictions against him. Nothing with January 6th. I think when him burning the uh, the BLM flag is what really agitated the radical left in D.C. Although, and and let me say. I personally wouldn't have done that, but that's me because I don't like burning things. But I also think if Enrique had burned the American flag, there's no way he would have gotten in trouble for that. Right, Rod? Oh, oh no, for sure. They probably would have applauded him for that. Uh, but you burned the BLM flag. That was, you know, it's sacred. You can't, you can't do that. And, uh, you know, again, if he had burned that flag, but, but if he had burned a rainbow flag, for instance, he could have faced exactly the same thing. You agree? No, he would have faced the no, he would have faced the firing squad, Lee. And that's from the country of Pennsylvania. I don't know. There's no. And and stop, Rod. Don't make sucking jokes because of the name that I said. Don't. It's inappropriate. Stop yourself. Don't <laughs> giggle either. But. Uh, <laughs> Going after groups that are protected on the left that don't even have countries. The pride flag, the BLM flag, is not the flag of a nation, right? Yeah, not not at all, Lee. It's just a corporate-backed entity that was uh, that was seditious against America during 2020 with the riots. You know, the riots that cost billions of dollars and took uh, a lot of small businesses under and never coming back. 
but you know they want to flip it and say January sixth was the worst thing that ever happened. No, the twenty twenty riots was one of the worst things that ever happened. Yes, and uh, I didn't give it the number. Let me do it again. Two zero two five two one thirteen twenty. If you want to be a caller, at the top of the hour. Top of the hour is a good time to call. It's if you notice a lot of our calls seem to cluster around the the second hour, first half hour. Have you noticed that, Rod? Uh, yeah, I think sometimes people want to think about what they want to say and call in and talk about. So yeah, I, I think that's what it is. Yeah, and we don't mind that. It's fun when we get a bunch of calls in, but you could call during the first half hour too. Most days, some days. It's late in Europe. Now, are you following? We have Wyatt Reed. He's moving to Ecuador. Not moving, but he was in Colombia early in the week. He's headed to Ecuador, and we'll get him in a couple of days. And also, we have a correspondent heading to Georgia, the country of Georgia. Did you see that memo? Yeah, I was, I was planning for that tomorrow to uh, to be our uh, our first guest. Yes, and there's a lot of stuff happening, Lithuania, Georgia. In fact, in Ukraine, they've made some comments about it, and it seems to me that they're desperately trying to prolong this war, even though everything I'm hearing. Russia continues to advance in Severodonetsk and even the, I'm, I'm not going to be able to pronounce it, but Lugansk, right? This, the city across the river there. Russia is taking land. About 20% of Ukraine, Russia is captured and in control of. Have you seen that number? Yeah, I've seen the maps online, Lee, and um, you know they've taken a big chunk of it, and they're going to take more, I believe. Well, that's what that's what's expected, and the media's not covering it. Uh, the media here, the media in the UK, the media in Germany—they're not covering it well. I've seen Deutsche Welle's doing a Q and A. I think now during our show about what's happening in Ukraine, uh, you know. Yes, exactly right, and they're, they're starting to admit it, sort of. They don't talk about the shelling by Ukraine of the Donetsk, the city of Donetsk. We prayed, We played the clip from Aiden Aslan yesterday, the mercenary who's been sentenced to death there. And people's reaction to Aiden Aslan is interesting. Aiden Aslan, as far as I'm concerned, was not with the Nazis. In fact, he says he didn't know about them. And I believe there are a number of people in the Ukrainian military who did not know officially about the Nazis. Do you think that's true? Um, I'm kind of go with Ingrid when she called in yesterday. I think, you know, if you were there for a good amount of time and you, you were embedded with these people, I think you would have noticed uh, some of these things that they they do in practice. Uh, so... Uh, I'll side with Ingrid. I think you sh he should have noticed that you know something was up with the uh, days offs. And and it seems to me like if we had him on the show, and what the heck, we might as well try. If he was on the show, 
it seems to me that Aiden Aslam would admit that. He seems to be taking responsibility, and he knows he did something wrong. Have you got that sense from him? Uh, yeah, for sure. He definitely has a sense of that he's uh, sorry for what he's done. But you know, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of hindsight twenty twenty. You're already being sent to death, so you know you're already at the end of the you're getting close to the end of the road. Yes, and he hasn't uh, even appealed yet. But I expect there's more to this story than have been heard. But I I like putting his commentary out there because if nothing else, a guy who's been sentenced to death is interesting to hear from. Does that make sense? It's inherently interesting. Here's a guy who's on death row. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean it, now that you put it that way, you know, here in America, there's many, you can look on YouTube, many conversations with people on death row, and they're one of the, one of the most popular videos that people watch. Um, if you remember, uh, uh, I'm forget, uh, Tookie Williams, who uh, yes, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the head of the, the, head of the Crips, um, sentenced to death you know the people were, were petitioning to get him off death row so that was a big thing a couple of uh, i guess like about two, 15 years ago i think now command central do we have mass Troy on okay so let's take a short break and when we come back from black guns matter don't burn his flag definitely you touching his flag rod no i respect i respect that flag Lee. right and and also you know safety but I'm sure Mashray has good career discipline. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking about the Supreme Court decision on the backstory. FM and AM 1390 in Washington, D.C., the capital of the Empire of Lies. Joining us now is Maj Sheree, the leader of Black Guns Matter. Hey, Maj, how you doing? Hey, what's up? How you feeling? I'm fine. I, may I call you leader? You like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Leaders, we need more of them in our communities across America. A lot of the leadership in this current administration nationally the federal level is, is, is disgusting and, and repugnant and disappointing, to say the least. So we absolutely, I'm good with that title. But you were probably pretty happy this decision this morning, correct? 100 um, percent. Happy. We're going to appreciate this win, um, but we're going to get doubled down right back for liberty. But we enjoy those small victories. It was a great victory in a very draconian state in regards to the racist practice of gun control in the state of New York. So we were 100 percent ecstatic with the outcome. We'll enjoy that. We'll have a beer. We'll have some coffee, some wine or whatever. But we'll get right back to work. Now, Command Central, I'd like to play the second clip first with the governor of New York first. Tell me when you're ready for that. Uh, and so this was a decision that basically New York said, in order to conceal carry a gun, you need to get permission first, right? And the Supreme Court said, no, there's no other constitutional rights 
that you have to get permission from the government, right? And that's what Clarence Thomas said. Is that how you understand the decision? It's 100% how I understand the decision. The reality is the Second Amendment is clear. And even though this is a, a pushback in the direction that we need to go, um, it's still not enough. Constitutional carry it should be every state in America. But to this specific case, the, you know, the state of New York saying that you need to tell the government exactly why you want to have a firearm to defend your life. And if they decide that they want to uh, accept your reason and give you the license to carry a firearm, then somehow that's okay. And what the Supreme Court did today was showcase that, no, that's not okay. The Second Amendment is clear. Um, you know, a well-regulated militia being necessary for the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. These licensing procedures by state governments and even federal government, these things are all infringements. Again, the Second Amendment is very clear. The licensing process is the government attempting to sell you back your human rights, your natural rights, as codified in the Second Amendment of the Bill of Rights and the Constitution of the United States of America, back to you as if they are the uh, sole force or deciding whether you have a human right. And that is not the framework of this nation. That is not the framework of the Bill of Rights nor the Constitution. And fortunately, um, the Founding Fathers had the foresight to double down on that Bill of Rights because a lot of tyrants will try to attempt to a make it seem as if rights come from government. So um, this has been, this was very clear. This conversation been over, but certain states like to try to hold on to things, um, pretending as if these rights weren't already enumerated and aren't the supreme law of the land. So the Supreme Court today got it 100 percent correct. And a huge shout to um, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas for even citing the Dred Scott case, which is a landmark decision that ironically highlighted the fact that at that time, black people in America did not have the same rights afforded to them as our white counterparts, but that was overturned. And a part of that being, if we make black citizens citizens, they'll have the right to keep, and I'm paraphrasing, and carry firearms wherever they want to. So now that we are actual citizens of this great nation, then we are afforded all of the human rights as codified in the Bill of Rights. And I want to say a huge shout to you know Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, because that's usually a taboo case. It's a very taboo case in our nation's history. And he just utilized that, the irony of a case that was used to deny the rights of a black man now being utilized to exonerate all of the people under the thumb of this tyrannical, unconstitutional foolishness that's posing as laws, which is just unconstitutional statutes. So huge shouts for that case. Anyone who wasn't aware of that case should absolutely look into it. And we'll talk about that in one second, because as you point out, but as and we talked about before, in the 1960s, the civil rights leaders from the Panthers to Malcolm were clearly not just in favor, theoretically, of gun ownership, but they carried guns, right? Correct. Correct. 100%. They carried firearms. The right to keep and bear, bear meaning carrying, holding on to, maneuvering with. These are the things that the, the, the anti-gunners that have very little understanding of 
um, natural rights. They have read no Thomas Paine. They have read no John Locke. They have read no Rousseau. The the modern movement that excuse me the um, uh, older movement of the that came to be the liberty movement. They don't understand these concepts. They don't read constitutions. They just operate off of feelings. So that term bearing arms means I have them on me, moving about with them. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's just common sense when you think about it, but, you know, that, that's not too common. So, yeah, during the 60s, you know, when that racist practice of gun control, there was some footage, some audio that leaked today about Ronald Reagan and what he actually thought about some black people. That came out about three hours ago. Reagan was behind and 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 Democrats behind this unconstitutional uh, push to make uh, the state of California have more restrictions on the right to keep and bear arms. So it's clear, and sometimes even so-called conservatives get it wrong. The reality is these human rights, whether that's the first freedom of speech, the first you know, uh, amendment, the second, all the way through all of them, are human rights that are not afforded, you know, uh, they're not a privilege granted by government. And the, the Panthers knew that in the 60s. Um, some people got it wrong, and now we see the outcome of California with all of the gun, unconstitutional gun statutes and racist gun control, even though they have all of that, they have had the most mass shootings of any state in America. You know, so we see the slippery slope in what states like California have turned into in regards to the respect for the Constitution and the human rights. And so we just got to make sure that we're highlighting that, calling it for what it is, and maintaining uh, safe and responsible gun ownership as the standard. And on top of that, also being very, very diligent on making sure that we're affording the people, because 60% of the so-called gun violence in America is suicides. We got to make sure that we're picking up the mantle to make that our cause of helping the people that may need mental health so they're not committing so much suicide with firearms or suicide in general, as well as we have to be extremely hard on violent criminals that use firearms to rob, rape, and kill unjustifiably. Um, because you are pro-gun does not mean you are, you know, light on crime. And when I say crime, I mean, you know, crime has to have an actual victim. So if we pick up as the pro-gun side of the room and the conservative and liberty-minded libertarian side of the room, we pick those causes up as our own, we will not allow, we'll solve that problem. We will not allow the left to utilize that as a catch-all to push back against our inalienable human rights. All of this is a part of the process. Um, and the process worked correct today. And um, and I think it's, it's a great thing for the nation as long as we continue to, you know, pick up the baton and run forward with it back towards liberty. Now, I hope you got an air sickness bag. And if you do, I hope it's a big one, a groceries bag, one of the big, big ones, because we're about to play a clip from the governor of New York, Kathy Ockel. And I'm going to highlight one part of this clip, the analogies she's making and discuss it with you afterwards. But let's run the clip, shall we? Shocking. Absolutely shocking. That they have taken away our right to have reasonable restrictions. We can have restrictions on speech. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. But somehow there's no restrictions allowed on the Second Amendment. This is New York. Shocking. So I'm going to point out that she is absolutely lying. She, when she says this says that there can be no restrictions on the Second Amendment, is that what the decision 
that Clarence Thomas wrote for a majority said, so, are there are there plenty of restrictions on gun ownership? No, that's not. So I would love for it to be that way. There should not be any restrictions or infringements, as it's stated in the Second Amendment. There should not be. However, they are. But what she's wrong about is saying that this particular case overturned, meaning there's no restrictions on the right to, to keep and bear arms. That's not true. You still have to have a background check. New York State is not a constitutional carry state. It is not. What this means is New York was telling the citizens that they had to prove a justifiable reason for them to have the means to defend themselves. That today's ruling overturned that. And when she's saying that, that person that wants a license to carry still will have to get a background check, still will have to get fingerprints, still will have to be a safe and responsible firearms owner. There's still restrictions on that person applying for a license to carry. It just means that if you're not a prohibited person, then you can now get a license to carry and you will be issued that license to carry. Excuse me, New York goes from a may issue state to a shall issue state. She's wrong on, on all of those accounts. I don't know if that's based on ignorance or just deceit, deliberate deceit. And she's also wrong about the analogy that she used about you can't use a, you can't yell fire in a uh, crowded theater. That is also incorrect. You actually can. The case law that she's attempting to cite poorly, that was overturned as well. There is no restriction. It's stupid, and you shouldn't do it. And if you do, you should be held accountable for it. However, you can. Literally, that case and that decision was overturned as well. This New York governor doesn't know what she's talking about. She wants—if if she felt so that impassionate about not liking firearms, then she should, by example, lead and not have her security detail have any firearms. See, this is the thing. They say these things for us— but when it comes to their personal protection and safety, it's okay. She should say, well, I'm going to ask my New York State Police Department all, of, you know, all across the state of New York, stand in solidarity with us and only have a certain type of firearm or don't have firearms or don't carry them outside. If she wanted to be principled, she'd do that, but of course she won't. Now, I assume you're, you consider yourself a Second Amendment purist, right, Maj? I consider myself a Second Amendment activist, and I hope that I can maintain the purity as much as possible. So let me ask you, I, I, I think you're right to point out the stupidity of her analogy. If you yell something in a crowded theater, fire or whatever, you can be held accountable for that after you yell it. You don't have to get permission to open your mouth in a theater, in, in the fear that you might yell fire, right? Right. And that's the equivalent. And furthermore, I, I, I don't know where you come down on this, but if you commit a bank robbery with a gun, or if you commit a, a, a robbery with a gun, they have these enhancements. They give you more years in prison because you used a gun, right? Yes, and I'm 100% okay with that. I'm one. See, gun owners, we are not soft on crime. If you use a firearm to unjustifiably rob, rape, or kill, I want you to have due process. I want you to have a jury of your peers. I want you to have the best legal counsel that you can afford. I want you to be able to defend yourself if you choose to. 
And I also want you to go to jail if you're proven guilty. I still want you to have all of the appeal process and all of that, but I am not in support of people using firearms for dastardly means, making it more difficult for safe and responsible gun owners. And I notice I don't say law-abiding. I say safe and responsible, because some of these so-called laws are unconstitutional statutes like the one that was overturned today by the Supreme Court of the United States of America. So when I say that— we have to take up the mantle and saying we're going to prosecute. We have to put pressure on district attorneys to prosecute men and women that use firearms in commission of a crime. But like you said, these types of laws and enhancements are already on the books. You can't not apply those laws, not deal, deal with them properly, and then on top of that, now try to isolate and restrict safe and responsible gun owners from exercising their human right as stated in the Second Amendment. Very critical component. But again, we got to pick up the mantle as gun owners to make sure that we're very, very tough on violent criminals that are unjustifiably using firearms. And on speech, they have the concept prior restraint. In other words, stopping you before you say something, restraining your speech. And it seems to me like what the Supreme Court struck down today was prior restraint, right? With the Second Amendment's prior restraint on gun owners. Correct. Having that prior restraint, unjustifiably, you don't get to. This isn't. This isn't the minority report, where you get to think that someone may do something wrong, so we're gonna charge them or stop them or so forth and so on. We're not. We're not doing that. No one is God. No one is knows all and sees all. No one can predict the future. I have a bunch of firearms. That does not mean that I am going to be a violent criminal with them. I am a, uh, uh, you know, I'm a person that uh, uh, did something wrong in the past. I may rehab myself and get back to all of my human rights. We have to stop pretending as if the state, who is horrible with firearms and Operation Fast and Furious, the United States government, left a bunch of firearms and gave them to Mexican cartels. We have Joe Biden in this administration leaving untold amounts of munitions over in Afghanistan on this botched pullout. The government is not in a moral, legal, or historical positive standing position to tell us what we should do as the people with firearms. They are not. Nothing that they have done with firearms, whether that's gun confiscation, whether that's leaving munitions in other foreign nations that are clearly enemies of Amer the American people, nothing that they have done in regards to firearms, dropping off firearms in the 80s in black communities so and telling guys to kill and shoot each other so they could come back and arrest them later, whether that's going back as far as uh, wounded knee, the massacre at wounded knee, murdering indigenous peoples in the first federal gun grab. This government, not the people, but this United States government is not in a moral, social, political, spiritual, financial, uh, positive space to be a moral jurisdiction on any of American citizens at all. And we have to hold that line, maintain that line, while being respectful of other people's choices to not be firearms owners if they don't want to. But your rights or your feelings about my rights, you know, don't trump my ability to have the means to defend myself. Again, the Supreme Court has made it very clear in a six to three decision today. And in that litigate, excuse me, in that case, 
our work at Black Guns Matter and what we do is actually cited on page 75. So huge shouts to the folks that put a lot of work in to make this a, right, a step in the right direction. But we have to maintain this, and there is no more uh, listening to these politicians that don't know what they're talking about, like the governor of New York doesn't know what they're talking about, espousing these views. Joe Biden just got up there and said this ruling is opposite of what the Constitution says. He is absolutely wrong. There's no sugarcoating it, and we have to stop sugarcoating it. These guys are wrong. They are not doing this for public safety. They are contradictory because they are also saying they should have the right to have these firearms to protect them and their communities and law enforcement. But somehow us as citizens are not worthy or intelligent enough. And it's just incorrect and wrong. And we got to stop. We got to, you know, our line in the sand has been drawn. This conversation has been over. Now, Maj, do you have any reaction? You're talking about the way law enforcement has misused firearms. And there are, of course, many examples. But in Uvalde, Texas, we have a case of they misused them by not going in. We know that the cops were standing outside the door waiting for a key that they didn't need. How do you feel about the narrative as it's, as we learn, learn the truth about Uvalde? The, the headline is, the police chief was finally put on administrative leave. But are you shocked by the police's actions in Uvalde? No, I'm not, because the same thing happened in Parkland. No, I'm, I'm, I'm by and large... I think that law enforcement officers need to be trained more. I think their needs, they, they relax on the fact, and again, this is not me saying, because I know some people have friends and family that are law enforcement, just like I do too. But we got to call a spade a spade. The reality is another Supreme Court decision that's been upheld a few times, police have no legal obligation to protect anyone. They have zero obligation to do their job. That's what that means. Um, so that's not what the job is. The job is to generate revenue for the state and enforce the laws that politicians say we want you to go enforce. That is not – this is why we got to start looking back into sheriffs, deputies, small towns, and things of that nature. These police chiefs that are appointed by mayors, not elected by the citizenship, it's a part of the problem. So, no, I was not in any way, shape, or form um, surprised. I actually know that they don't have an obligation to. When the folks down in Parkland sued, um, you know, in Broward County, if I'm not mistaken as well, when they sued saying you guys stood outside, you know, they didn't get reprimanded. The reason being is because they don't have an obligation to protect you. And this is the irony. But, These people would- Dimash, You probably also weren't shocked by the fact that 15, approximately 15 Republicans voted in favor of abandoning the filibuster in order to pass this bipartisan so-called gun legislation. And how did you feel about that? And furthermore, uh, when you have, you mentioned you, you, we don't have to predict, read people's minds. How do you feel about the red flag laws that this is be pushing through? Talk about that a little bit, Mush. Red flag laws are a direct, and it's going to get overturned if it gets through the filibuster. If it gets through, um, it will be overturned in the Supreme Court. Now, I want to be clear. We should not be relying on the Supreme Court to bail us out of everything. If you're depending on the Supreme Court justice as uh, your consistent thing as opposed to an absolute last 
resort, then you're, it speaks to the lack of understanding of civics and human rights as codified in the Constitution and Bill of Rights if you're relying on that consistently. However, um, it's, very, it's already very clear. Red flag laws are a violation of the Fourth Amendment, are a violation of due process, are a violation of private property, are a violation of all, so many things. I think a lot of people are caught up in the hoopla of the emotionalism that's being presented by uh, mainstream narratives, however, or popular narratives, because they're not mainstream. The people are, and, and I'm not wanting certain things and wanting liberty. That's the mainstream narrative. But saying that to say, um, th these red flag laws are a problem. Um, this conversation about, well, what if someone does something wrong? It's not a, it's not a speculative. We can, you already have the powers to investigate someone if you are aw made aware of them doing a potential for doing negative things. On a lot of cases, these guys have already done things that would have made them prohibited per per persons already. Saying this to say, you got to execute what's already there. Good police work, good deterrent work, good parenting, good social changes in, in, in that direction. These are things that solve that problem more than legislation ever could. So to add this red flag law type of thing is more reaching in the direction of we as the government have rights to your house without proving and going through the process, the burden of proof, which lies on the actual state to prove a thing to justify it. And again, even if it was a red flag law, we shouldn't be taking a firearm if the person is a threat, if, because that could be turned into somebody just saying someone's a threat. If the person's credible and a legitimate threat that has done a thing, not they attempted to, but if they, or they said, somebody said, if there's no investigation to find that out first, you shouldn't be moving anything. And absolutely, you shouldn't be moving a tool. You should be moving the person. So it speaks to the, again, the people not understanding or knowing what due process, the Constitution, your human rights is about, kowtowing to po political narratives by puppet uh, tears that speak these things. But again, these same people make their security details, the politicians and the political circles they run in, and law enforcement exempt. If you really wanted to show that I believe that this is going to be safe, it will be all across the board, and that's not the case. And their justification would be, oh, well, police have to protect themselves, and security details have to protect me from really crazy people. That is the exact same reason why someone, a citizen, that's not law enforcement or politically connected, would carry a firearm. So their, their argument falls on its face very easily by anyone that knows a, a droplet of anything about the Constitution, Bill of Rights, and Human Rights. And that's why we got to start influencing these things back in our classes and our communities. Our work at the Solutionary Center in Philadelphia, all of our classes on civics, on libertarianism, on the process, the political process, on uh, firearm safety, on developing skills and trades. All of our classes are free to the general public, whether at the Solutionary Center in Philadelphia or across the nation because of you guys' voluntary donations. If you're a great- And where, where can they find that? We're almost out of time, Maj. Great appearance as usual. Where they can, where people can go to find it? They can go to donate to our work at givesendgo.com forward slash solutionary. Givesendgo.com forward slash Solutionary. If you want to go to the website to see all of the classes, that's at solutionarylifestyle.org. So again, the website, solutionarylifestyle.org, to see the classes. And Master Ray, we're out of time. Thank you. 
fantastic appearance. Congratulations on being cited in this important decision. You're a great spokesman for constitutionality, safety, and liberty. We'll be back after this short break on The Backstory. backstory. This is an oasis of truth and free speech in the vast wasteland that is the Biden administration. I'm Lee Stranahan, and we're joined this hour by guest co-host, the great Carter Laren on the backstory. Wow, what an appearance by Mash Torre. He's always great. Master Ray from Black Guns Manor, great appearance. And let's say hi. We, we have Ian Schilling coming up this hour from the UK. And let's say hi to Carter Laren. Hey, Carter, how you doing? Hey, Lee, I'm doing well. How you been? I'm fine. So you, you're I'm sorry I missed Maj, by the way. He is great. I've had him on before. I really like him. I like what Black Guns Matter's doing. Uh, yeah. Great combo. Well, you know, that's what I was going to ask you about, and uh, I, I agree. He's always a great guest, and you don't. He's not vague. You know what he thinks. You know what I'm yes. saying? Yep. He's one of yeah, those guys. He, he's... And we'll find out what what you think after this on the backstory. So, Carter, the broad question I was going to ask you is, where do you come down on the Constitution, pro? That's a pretty. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Are you? Do you consider yourself a constitutionalist? Uh, sort of. Um, <clears throat> I okay. disagree with the idea that I disagree with the idea that rights come from government. Um, so, uh, and which I think the founding fathers did as well. I think the U.S. Constitution in, is um, one of the best political documents ever written. I would say the Declaration of Independence is probably better, but um, one of the best political documents ever written in it. And I think the Bill of Rights, well, I know the Bill of Rights was intended to reflect a recognition of rights, not grant rights um, by the government. So in that sense, I, I'm a supporter of the Constitution, but I can't say I'm a supporter of everything in the Constitution because the Constitution has, uh, I think, some contradictions in it. I mean, I certainly don't support the 16th Amendment, for example. Um, so, um, and, and I think there's some vagaries and contradictions in the Constitution that uh, the progressives have driven uh, trucks through in the past 150 years and done a lot to harm the intent of the founding fathers with respect to this nation. But since we're talking about the Second Amendment broadly today, since the Supreme Court decision was on that, because of what you said about the Bill of Rights, do you think that neuters the liberal argument that the Second Amendment is about militias? I think the very fact that it's in the Bill of Rights shows that it's not about militias. It's about granting rights. Does that make sense, yeah. sir? Uh, I would, the only caveat I would say is it's not about granting, but about recognizing rights. But yeah, I, look, I would say um, every human being has the right to own and, and firearms for 
for defense purposes, even if you're in North Korea. Now, that right is being infringed upon and not recognized, but you have the right. It's a, it's a, it's part of having the right to individual sovereignty. And I think the founding fathers, look, I mean, you know this, Lee, there was a debate about whether to include the Bill of Rights. And the argument was not between a side that thought the Bill of Rights, we didn't have those rights, and one side that thought we did have those rights. Both sides in the debate thought we had those rights, and they thought that was pretty obvious. One side thought, well, if we enumerate these rights, people will assume these are the only rights we have. And that's certainly not the case, so we shouldn't enumerate them at all. And the other side argued, well, yes, we have many more rights beyond this, but we need to at least enumerate these essential ones. Um, and, you know, fast forward to today, the left doesn't give a crap about uh, rights. They haven't, I don't think, ever. I think they use them as talking points when they're convenient. And certainly, you know, a well-regulated militia does not mean uh, in the in the context of the the founding and and the writing at that time, it does not mean regulated by governments. That's not what that regu- that means like a practicing like people should have people have the right to go out and practice. and and by the way, the primary purpose is not to defend yourself from from the criminal down the block or to hunt. It's to defend yourself from a government gone awry. And the founding fathers were pretty clear about that. So uh, I think I think we do ourselves a disservice when we pretend it's about duck hunting or even about stopping a, a thug on the street. It's about fighting the government. That's what it's about. So great point, Carter. 202-521-1320. David, you're online. What's on your mind? Hi, uh, yes. I'm going to push back if you don't mind. Uh, I've, I've got a comment and a question for you, but I'll start with a comment. Uh, I, I agree that people should have the right to, to bear arms, especially in rural areas, especially in rural areas. In fact, even even an AR-15, where calling the police wouldn't wouldn't make any difference because they might be 20 miles away. But in the cities, and I live in New York City, in the cities, it's crazy, okay? Legalizing concealed carry just opens up a, 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 a situation where the people won't have safety. The general people won't have safety. The whole, the whole area of the city, you can't go into at night. And, and that's it's already true now, but it'll get, it will get much worse. So I, I have to, I, I see it as a local thing. Localities should be able to regulate as they want. And, and rural areas, sure, protect yourself. Big cities, no, forget it. It's got to be. There's got to be restrictions. Talk about the right of a person to defend themselves. What about the right of people to live in safety? So that's my, my comment. If you want, before I ask my question, you can respond to that. Well, I, I'll say you, yeah, sure. Uh, Two things. One, you don't have a right to live in safety. That's a nebulous thing. I mean, you could die of cancer tomorrow. You could get struck by lightning. There's no right to have someone else ensure your safety. You do have a right to not have someone else uh, initiate the use of force against you, and that's presumably the the purpose of the police and the government is to go after people who do that. But the the other thing I'll say about cities is, look, I live in the Bay Area, and you want to you want to follow uh, San Francisco Police Department or Oakland Police Department's Twitter. You can see constantly confiscated illegal firearms. The criminals already have guns in the city. And even if you're in the city, uh, cops aren't going to show up at my house uh, in any reasonable time period. That's not even that's not even a question. We know that's not going to happen. So uh, I, from a very practical perspective, saying that I can't have a gun doesn't do anything but disarm people who will obey the law. And 
and arm people who bring guns across the Mexican border all the time. There's guns all the time. Just seriously, just go follow the Twitter account of some police departments who brag about, here's all the guns that we confiscate. They're all illegal. None of them are legally acquired. And, you know, that doesn't, that, that doesn't help. Saying that they're outlawed doesn't help. Those guns are already outlawed. The people that have them are already often prohibited from possessing firearms. And I also, I also don't see why concealed carry is an issue in urban areas. I, 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 is there a lot of crime done by people hiding guns? What's, what's the fear there? Why is that an urban issue? I, I think the reason it's an urban issue is because with concealed carry, uh, the, 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 the availability and the, and the price will go down. So there'll be there'll be a lot more people carrying. Okay, a lot more people, including a lot more dangerous people carrying. You can say they can get guns already, sure, but it's expensive and illegal. And right, right now, right now it won't be illegal. So that, that there's a difference. Okay, the, the, the deterrent of, of getting arrested with a gun, even if you're not committing a crime, okay, is, is there right now. It won't be there if, if this law is enforced. Well, that's not that's not my question. That's still, that's still, still replying to the comment. Let me know when I should ask my question. No, go ahead. Do that, and then I got to get to Alcoa. So go ahead, David. Very very simple comment. Uh, your previous your guest sort of was in favor of no restrictions at all on 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 uh, gun ownership or even gun restrictions. But but there's got to be some. I mean, for example, you, you're not you're not going to accept. I, I presumably you will not accept the, the the right for people to have automatic weapons or grenade launchers or things like that. Do you agree? No. You you, agree, you, you automatic weapons are okay. I'll be firing a machine gun this weekend. Yes. Crazy. Uh, I'll leave it at that, though. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Well, thanks for the call, David. 202-521-1320. Al Keller, will you be firing machine gun this weekend? No, I won't. But I, I also, I, I don't have a problem with anybody owning a machine gun. And let me tell you something. Your last caller, David, that is who I grew up with in New Jersey. It's people like that. They, they don't have. They have no concept of reality. I mean, they. I know. I can tell his heart is good, but he has never like lived outside of his little box. Um, just say, look, identify as a transgender Ukrainian coming through Mexico, and you can have any arms you want. Um, my my friends, look, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. My friends had a Tech Nine when I was 13 years old. Try to buy one in a store. A 13 year old bought it in Newark. You can. You're, you're never going to stop people from getting illegal firearms. You you can't do it. We don't have a gun problem. We have a societal rot problem, and the fish rots from the head down. I agree. And by the way, that Tech Nine. I just I want to point this out. Illegal firearms are not expensive. I don't know what he's thinking, but they're not expensive at all. Three hundred dollars. Uh, there's a. Three hundred. Yeah, they're cheap. Yeah, legal firearms are actually much more expensive. If I go to the store and buy a nice new gun, I'm paying a lot more than if I went to the street corner and bought one illegally. Of course you are. And, and, the, the, and I can just – the reason I know he's never lived outside of his box is because for somebody to say that it, it would be harder for you – look, if you make something illegal – I mean Ron Paul gave an example talking about cigarettes in the 1980s. Um, he was on um, – I think it was Phil Donahue, the guy that used to smoke a bunch of cigarettes, and he died. And – Ron Paul is like, oh, you want to make drugs illegal? Uh, um, why don't we make uh, cigarettes illegal? You know, you're smoking. You, you, if you want to do something like that, you know, that's bad for your health. It kills more people than drugs do. And the guy's like, are you sure? He goes, look, 
you'll be selling them the, the day you do it. They will be sold black market for five bucks a pack. Now this is in the eighties. That's a laugh now, right? Because good luck finding a pack for under you know in, in New Jersey or New York for under fourteen, fifteen bucks. But yep. it, it, just because you magically make a rule that says, oh, you're not allowed. The people already broke the law if they used the gun to kill people, innocent people. They don't. It, you. They don't care about the laws. Th- this idea that that I mean, I I in in Virginia when I purchased my AR when I purchased my uh, my Sig 320, they did a background check on me. I mean, th- this idea that people aren't doing background checks, they just don't want to address the issue. It, it, we have a a morality issue in this country. It's not a gun issue, and the fish rot from the head down. And my, what I really wanted to I'm. What I really wanted to call in about was more so about um, you just saw Donald Trump's uh, lawyer got raided, right? Th- this is the this. Well, his l- l- lawyer. We were talking before about the assistant attorney general. Is that who you meant in Virginia? Yeah, in, in his pajamas. Um, yes, that that's the same one, and it's in a way more slightly more frightening to me because there's someone who was in the system. And the system went after him. But go ahead, Owl Keller. That's what I mean. It's, it's the fish rots from the head down. There is no longer a – there's no code. And that is the scary thing for society is that when people – you always know cer- certain people connect to get away with certain things. But when there's obvious no equal justice, when a Hunter Biden just – I mean in his own text messages – Admitting how the FBI covered up for him um, with with the firearms and the Secret Service, that, that is when society breaks down. And mark my words, they're coming for Trump. The writing is on the wall. They are definitely coming for him. They may not kick his door in, but he will be indicted under some baloney charge. But uh, you can just see it. And that that there's no shame. It's almost that they don't care. They don't care how they're. That's only going to punt gun law. Going back to gun laws. That only punishes good people. Bad people do not care at all. And it, it's this idea that how they ignore how they ignore um, cities that are, where where guns are completely illegal. Good luck getting a gun in New York City, even even for yourself. I, the only people I know that can get guns in New York City are people that have cash businesses. And good luck, you, you're going to pay a pretty penny for it. Um, you you ju- you just see the 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 rot of our of our society and that's what happens when institutions become so corrupted they don't care they don't care about the optics what they did to James O'Keefe what they did to uh the deputy attorney general they do not care and th- this idea that republicans go along with it like James uh Cornyn going going along with uh it's like they they just really really want to be down they want to be accepted and you're never going to be accepted you can't argue you can't argue with evil. You can't, and you can't legislate against evil. Carter, are you in favor of yeah. legislating against evil? <laughs> well, I think that because pro- you know, prohibition, the elephant in well. the room. Yeah, the elephant in the room here is. Uh, let's just let's just call call this what it is. You can't actually ban guns. The best you can do is concentrate them in the hands of the state. And I can't think of a worse, more corrupt more evil, vile set of individuals than the people in Washington, D.C. and those that work for them. So when you talk about gun control, what you're talking about is putting guns in the hands of the worst power mongers, the worst corrupt power mongers that 
uh, are in society. And I don't know where all these gun crimes are that are allegedly committed by people who have legal weapons and carried concealed. Like that's that I you don't hear about that at all. You know why? Because it doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. And that's the point I was trying to make. I, I don't see it. But David answered that. He said it will cause more guns to be out there. And I don't even see that. Well, look, I think that if you want to be honest, yeah, if you want to be honest about this, you got to realize, look, America has always been the land of firearms. We've always had way more firearms than other cultures. Um, we had, we used to have rifle clubs in schools. The big question you should be asking yourself is, what's changed? What's changed? What changed? Right? And and this the caller, the the caller who said it rots that you know rots from the head, like that's what's changed. Culture's changed. The access to firearms hasn't changed. Firearms have been readily available, in fact, more available to people who wanted them in the past. They're harder to get now. So what's changed isn't that we suddenly have, you know, the, the AR-15 isn't new. <laughs> these, aren't, these aren't, you know, brand new inventions. These are all old, old things that have been around for a while that people have had access to um, much more easily in the past. and yet. Now we're seeing an increase in things like uh, school shootings and that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, no one wants to talk about the hard problem, which is what the heck is happening to culture and how do we stop it? Because that's a much harder problem than let's pass some feel-good legislation that says gun safety in the title. Now, it's been a few weeks since we talked. Thanks a lot, Alco. Great call as usual. It's been a few weeks since we talked to you, and I hope you've been well. I don't think we've talked to you since Ches Boudin was defeated as DA in San Francisco. But allow me to try to be hopeful for a second. I think that the defeat of Chesboudin, the Soros-funded radical leftist DA in San Francisco, shows that even in San Francisco, people have a limit how much they'll put up with. What did you think of Chesboudin being defeated, Carr? Well, I think you're much more of an optimist than I am. I mean, I, I do think it, it is correct that most people, even people who label themselves progressive, do have a limit. And, you know, when you're living in San Francisco and you have to step over human feces on the way to your car, which has been broken into for the third time this week, um, and you're paying horrific taxes, yeah, I mean, eventually... Uh, eventually the day-to-day -day inconveniences of having your city run by a radical leftist infringe on your ideology and you decide you're going to... But it's not like they voted for Ron Paul to replace him. This isn't, you know, this is a, well, we, you know, we want a more moderate Democrat, basically. And, you know, so I, I view this, that's true. I think you're right. But I think that's largely because most of the population are kind of pragmatists. They don't think in terms of principles. Um, they are kind of, when they do, they're kind of bought into the progressive principles, but they have kind of a pragmatic tempering of those uh, when it impacts them directly. But I, I don't see that as uh, a sufficient back force to really solve any problems. And that just slows the progression of uh, the implementation of technocracy and, and communism. So do you at all have hope? Do you see anything you think are positive signs in society? 
Yeah, I mean, not for San Francisco. Um, but yeah, look, I think um, I guess I'm blackpilled in one sense, which in in the sense that I do think the time of America in its current incarnation uh, is over. I don't think we will survive in our current political structure. Uh, certainly, we won't survive uh, without being a uh, you know the progressive utopia of and and a technocracy with an administrative state and kind of slide into that uh, dystopia that we're we're kind of all worried about. I'm not convinced that it needs to happen everywhere in the U.S. And what gives me hope and the white pill part of my outlook here is I do think there are more more and more people waking up. They're scattered across the nation, but there are more and more people waking up. And I think those people will eventually congeal into pockets, uh, which pockets of people who are willing to stand up and and say no to this and whether that means outright secession or sort of a soft secession where you know now now you've got cities like San Francisco who say hey we're a sanctuary city we're not going to implement these federal laws well you could do that on a you could do that from a uh, a libertarian liberty perspective and say okay well we're not going to implement these laws that you want um and, and you could do that in a geographical region so the hope that i have is that when America splinters, there are some smaller areas of America with freedom-loving people who uh, kind of keep the ideas of the Founding Fathers alive. And I, I'm not sure where that will be, but you have places like New Hampshire where the libertarians are trying to do their um, free state project. You've got places like Texas, which have a, a deeply ingrained um, sense of independence and often don't even think of themselves as Americans first. They usually think of themselves as Texans first and Americans second. So they could potentially push back. You've got Florida uh, as a as a place that seems to be pushing back. So there could be some pockets, um, but I I think the writing's on the wall. I mean, Rome Rome will fall, and I know a lot of people will think that I'm a, a horrible pessimist for saying that, but I I don't see any valid counter arguments to to that. I don't see any path for the swamp in Washington uh, to be purged, right? There was that moment of hope when Trump ran in 2016, and I'm not a big fan of Trump on many fronts, but you know, he he ran on this idea that I'm going to clean up this this bureaucratic deep state swamp, and he didn't for whatever reason, and that swamp won, and I think if we see how they handled both the COVID lockdowns, how they handled the 2020 election, and how they will handle things moving forward, it's unlikely that we'll ever have a another chance to even try to clean up the swamp in Washington. So I think I think it's over in terms of how that is, but that that's not depressing to me. I care really more about the spirit of liberty and I don't care so much about which jurisdictions it thrives in as long as it thrives somewhere. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And for what it's worth, I think you're an awesome pessimist. Very good at it. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank now, 202-521-1320, let's go to Ingrid in D.C. Hey, Lee. Do you have a question for Carter? No, I don't. Uh, I have a response okay. to you about Adam Aislin. Um, I don't get where you think you have better access to information about Ukraine than the majority of the Ukrainian soldiers. Um, as I understand it, one reason that Azov came to prominence is that— it, in 2014, when Poroshenko 
first uh, wanted to put forces against the Donbass, a lot of the original Ukrainian army resigned. And that's how these Azov people came into, into virtual control of the army. And all of this, um, from 2014, from the Svoboda, we get this somehow secondhand but this is in their language. They know about this. They know about the, the Tiki marches and, and Bandera, and they know about C-14 and how they were the prominent, uh, you know, stiffeners of, of the Maidan and, and stiffeners of the army and everything else. So uh, well, Aslan, he's not on death row. You know, he's— He's been sentenced, but he has a long way to go. This is not like a deathbed confession. He's he's appealing. He already ha- made this appeal. Him and his mother's like, oh, please exchange me for that politician that uh, Zelensky had arrested and beat up. And there was a lot of pushback from that in Donbass saying, hell no, we don't want this politician. If if, you're, if there's going to be an exchange, we want our boys who are being held. Well, on the first question you asked, let me respond to that, and then uh, we're out of time for this segment. But next time we have Mark Sabota on, I will ask Mark that, because my experience is there's knowing stuff and then there's knowing stuff. But I'm convinced from my personal experience from dealing with people like Andre Telzenko, there are people who were down with the Nazis and knew all about it. Then there's some people who you could argue they should have known, but I don't think it was top of mind what was going on. And we'll ask Mark above about that next next time he's on. But great calling, great thanks. We're just almost at the end of the hour. And Carter, you talked about uh, pockets of freedom i'll i'll put it that way what do you think do you think in some areas like like in texas i think it's not just not enforcing some laws i think enforcing immigration laws is a must in these areas but the danger in that is of course it's enforcing more laws so do you see my point? Do you think some laws need to be enforced more? Yeah, I think I think something that a lot of uh, – look, you know I'm an, an ANCAP, and, and I think something a lot of um, libertarians get wrong is this idea that uh, you cannot enforce borders at all and still have the kind of society that you want. I, I think in the long run that might be true. There might be ways to do that. But in the current state of things – um, you certainly can't have populations that are anti-individualist come in and get uh, within a couple generations voting rights and um, and government services and influence. You can't you can't do that. You can't sustain a freedom-loving culture with like just just imagine imagine you're Japan and someone says to you, you can sustain the culture of Japan if you let. Uh, <laughs> All of Russia in? Well, no, you can't. That's you can't. You just that's just impossible. 
Uh, and, and there are aspects of uh, American culture which are unique, and the individualist focus, the liberty mindset, is unique. And, and I'm a big fan of having immigration uh, of people who are willing to embrace that mindset and, and people who want to uh, assimilate to at least that part of our culture and embrace individualism and freedom. But uh, I'm not a big fan of opening the doors to everyone else and then giving them political power and expecting that to work. So let's take a short break, Carter. When we come back, we'll be joined from across the pond by Ian Schilling, and we'll find out about some of what's going on in our former master state. We were calling it all right after this break on the backstory. and joined by a great co-host, a guest co-host, Carter Lahren. Hey, And happy to be, have Carter back on after a few weeks. And now our next guest on the show comes from the UK. Ian Schilling is with us. Hey, Ian, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Lee? <laughs> so I'm fine. Carter, Ian, Ian, Carter. Hi, Carter. Great to meet you, Ian. So, Ian, I have one question about the kerfuffle with Bojo. Boris Johnson went to Ukraine and paid a visit to Zelensky recently. And I understand he got some flack for it in the UK, but not for the reasons I would have thought. What I understand is his own party, the Tories, were critical of him because he was supposed to be campaigning. Is that right, essentially? Ian? I don't know. I didn't pick up on that one. Okay. That, that's interesting. So what do you think the feeling of the people in the UK is? Are they sick of the war in Ukraine, or are they still very supportive of Ukraine? Well, they're going to get they're going to get sick of the inflation caused caused by the conflict, aren't they, and the sanctions that the, the UK and EU have imposed on Russia. And the high gas prices and high food prices that has come with it, right? So I mean, the 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 anger the anger is not going to happen overnight. People people are going to slowly realise how how bad the government is. I mean, all the rail unions are now going to go on strike over the summer in August, and the postal union is is threatening to go out on strike as well. I mean, they just reported nine percent inflation in the UK, and they reported nine percent inflation all over the place in Europe, aren't they? In Germany and France and wherever. So there's going to be a hell of a lot of strikes in the UK and Europe over the next few months. As people are, people people are going to be badly affected by it, and all their mortgage rates are going to go up because interest rates are now going up, aren't they? But, I mean, pe people are going, to, are going to get angry. They go, they they're going to feel the pinch pretty quick. I mean, the full effects of all all this sky high inflation is, isn't being felt yet. I I mean, meat prices haven't gone up that much. They're going to go up. Electricity prices haven't gone up yet, but they're going to go up. It's going, it's going to be a whirlwind. And it was all, I mean, all the inflation started well before Putin invaded Ukraine. It was all going up in late 2021 because of the, all the trillions of dollars and euros that have been printed for the, 
for the COVID bailouts, wasn't it? All the lockdowns, all the you know, five trillion over five trillion. The US printed the European, the EU countries in the EU must have printed about the same. So that's 10, 10 trillion dollars. No wonder you got inflation. There's been no growth in GDP since the end of 2019 when COVID started. The, the GD, GDP, there's been no growth in GDP, but the, but the debt has gone up by 20% or whatever. So, of course, there's going to be inflation. Now, in the U.S., we have Joe Biden blaming it all, the inflation on Vladimir Putin, even though the head of the Fed said yesterday what was obviously true, which is yeah. prices were rising before the invasion. Is yeah. Bojo, what are politicians... Are they trying to blame us on Putin? Um, well, sort of. They're trying to avoid blaming it on anything. They, they're just, say, just saying it. I mean, they, they try, they completely avoid what has caused it. And the cause was, was massive money printing. I mean, the UK government borrowed £400 billion for the, all the COVID stuff. Like they, I mean, the debt was... Two trillion before COVID, and they they then borrowed another four hundred billion. So that's twenty percent. That's twenty percent money printing. That's why they got the inflation. And now now people people. I mean, it takes a while for it to filter through, doesn't it? And now now a, a year, eighteen months later, it's now now happening. Now, Carter, do you have any questions for Ian Schilling? Well, I, I look. I'm just. I just want to underscore what he's saying because so few people are really just being straightforward about this, and I'm glad Ian is. Just go look at a look at a chart of M1 in U.S. dollars. I mean, it, it's it's like a spike in 2020 and 2021. Late 20, well, actually 2021 is when the spike really hits. I mean, it's I think something like 80 percent of all U.S. dollars in existence were printed in the last couple of years. It's absolutely insane. And of course, the political class doesn't want you to know the the reason for inflation because they're responsible for inflation. So <laughs> exactly. they can yes. they can point to Putin all they want and say, well, it's it's Putin. He invaded Ukraine, which most Americans couldn't even find on a map in the first place. That's the big problem, uh, you know. And just by the by, the ruble is the best performing currency this year of all international currencies. So. Uh, <laughs> I, I think Putin's probably laughing all the way to the bank. Yes, yeah, it is the best performing currency, and that's before the Ukraine invasion. This is from January 2022, so it's well before the invasion, and it was settled at settled around six, about seventy dollars, seventy rubles to the dollars, wasn't it? Then it's now it's now it's now sixty five or something, sixty. I think it's so. Think yeah, it's uh, the ruble's gone up because currency. the Russian government is making a huge amount. It's selling slightly less oil and gas. So it might be selling or eighty percent of what it did do in oil and gas, but it's now getting twice or three times the price for it. So it's laughing all the way to the bank. Isn't it? I I have a question for for you because this is not something that I think Americans. You know, we're not directly impacted by Ukraine, other than that we print a bunch of money and send it to them. Um, you know, we hear we hear that Ukraine is one of the the primary sources of grain in in uh, in Eastern Europe, and I don't I don't know is that does that affect food prices? Is that going to have an impact, or is that relatively minor compared to the printing of of money and and other stuff that's been going on? Well, it is going to cause a problem. I couldn't couldn't tell the relative extent, but Ukraine Ukraine had nearly 20% of world wheat exports before the war, 
right? Russia, Russia had over 20%, 25%, and Ukraine had about 16% of wheat exports. Right? And they also export other grains, you know, barley and whatever else. So it will have an effect. And, um, the countries that are going to suffer is Africa, mostly, poor countries, because, you know, food, food is 50% of their, their income. Right in Africa, so if, if food doubles and they got nothing for anything else, so they're going to starve. Right in Africa, well, you know, after after the next harvest is in, right after after you know November or whatever, when when all the crops, you know, the the lower crop yields have come in because there's no fertilizer and whatever else, and because there's been no exports from from Ukraine and whatever, then the food prices are going to, going to skyrocket and people are going to starve in Africa. It's going to be millions starve. Right? And other poor countries, you know, in, in Southeast Asia and whatever. Biden is headed over to Germany in the next couple of days for the G7 and more meetings. When I look at what's going on with the EU, where Germany is also going to face major economic problems from their policy on Ukraine and yeah. Italy and a lot of these countries, I look back at Brexit. Do you think things would be radically different? I see UK going along with the EU. And it wouldn't, acting it wouldn't make any difference to this Russian policy, would it, if the UK was in the EU? Because the EU is doing what the UK is doing. So it's just, it's not, it wouldn't make any difference. I think going back to the the other point in Africa, all the all, all the African nations, like the 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 Union of African Nations, whatever I can't remember what it's called, but the, the, you know, forty odd countries in Africa, they all had a big delegation that went to Moscow to see Putin about food supplies and whatever. And Putin said, "Well, we'll export as much as we can to Africa and we'll help you out." Right, so there was, there was, I don't know, twenty African leaders all went to Moscow and met with Putin, right, and then they tried to set up a meeting with Zelensky to discuss the Ukraine war, and only only the the head of the African Congress went, and and the, the, the three three of them went. It was only the president of the African Congress and whoever's chairing it and somebody else, Congo president or something. So three of them went. So they weren't interested in what Zelensky had to say. They weren't interested in what Putin had to say. <laughs> but Germany Germany is now, now committing absolute economic suicide now. Now, apparently there's there's turbines that... that um, pump the gas through the pipelines, OK? And that Siemens was supposed to repair them, and they sent them off to Canada, and Canada's not not returned them. They're refusing to return them because of the Russian sanctions. So now the, now the gas Nord Stream gas pipeline's breaking down, right? They've reduced its capacity or by 40% or 60% or something. So they're pumping less gas, and Germany's now getting worried because they're not going to be able to fill their gas reserves. Right. This is all going to come to a crunch when we start. This is going to get to a crunch in October, November, fall, right? Because that's when the cold weather is going to start hitting, and when then Russia can decide whether it wants to shut the gas off or not to Europe. Right? That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to resolve it. Meanwhile, Russia's keep pounding the Ukraine army. It's going to going to destroy the Ukrainian army over over. Uh, it will take them several weeks, you know, three months or more to do it, but they keep pounding them with artillery and eventually the Ukrainian army will just collapse from lack of manpower. I mean, they said to send in raw recruits to the front. They've got no idea what they're doing and they're getting killed, the Ukrainians. 
Now, forgive me. It seems like when Bojo went over to Ukraine, he is urging Zelensky to keep fighting. Yeah. To the last yeah. Ukrainian. Yeah, the UK wants Ukraine to keep fighting to the last Ukrainian, yes. <laughs> I don't care how many Ukrainians get killed in the war. I couldn't get less. The more, the better, says Bojo and Liz Truss. I mean, do you think that the economic support that the West, both the US and many European nations, are providing to Ukraine, do you think the end result of that economic support is merely just the death of more Ukrainians? Yeah. It's not going to end. Uh, it's not going to alter the end result. The end result is the destruction of the Ukrainian army, right? And Russia taking controls of large parts of Ukrainian territory in the south and the east. They won't touch the west because they're they're anti-Russian. But all the Russian-speaking regions in the south and the east, the Russians will take over, and then they'll have referendums on whether those those regions want to become independent or possibly join Russia. Right, which will all, all happen in uh, six months' time or something. Right, but the more the war goes on, the more Ukrainians die in it, and the more stupid laws that Kiev is passing because they've now banned all Russian films and books, haven't they? They ban the Russian language from culture. They're banning it from banning Russian literature in schools. Right, this is gonna, this is going to antagonise all the Russian speakers in Russia, in the south and east of Ukraine. They say, "Well, I don't want to be ruled by these bastards. Do I? <laughs> I'd rather be independent." Or go with Russia, because that's, I mean, all these people, all these people in the south and east of Ukraine have got family ties in Russia. There's a lot of, lot of cost families. So, you know, they were all part of Russia, weren't they, for centuries? So it's just crazy. And the more, the more extreme the Kiev government does with the, all these, these extremist oppressive laws of banning, banning Russian banning Russian from schools, banning Russian literature, banning uh, Russian movies, banning anything in Russia, in, in the Russian language. They're just going to antagonise people. And, you know, the people in South and East Ukraine know about the atrocities the Ukrainians are committing in Donbass and whatever, shelling civilians and whatever. Right? So they, they won't be able to hide it from them. They might be able to hide it from people in Kiev, I'm clueless. They can certainly hide it from people in Europe because the Western media won't ever be bought it. But the people people in those areas know what's going on. Yeah, I mean Donbass has already been anti Ukraine or anti Kiev for you know, they've been in a war for eight years with Kiev. Yeah, I know. But they they're just they're, you know, there's gonna be lots of regions. So Donbass is just two regions. There's gonna be another four, six or eight regions that will vote to go join Russia or become independent. Now, we had Boris Johnson survive a no-confidence vote re recently, but yes. some people point out he survived that vote, but May survived a vote of no-confidence a few years ago, and she was gone within a few months. Yeah. Are people seeing the, the end of Boris Johnson on the horizon, Ian? Well, they're discussing it as a possibility, yes. And exactly what you said, about seven months later, Theresa May was gone. So maybe in six or 12 months' time, Boris Johnson will be gone as well. And is there anybody on the horizon to replace Johnson? Because I think that's the problem. Nobody that's any better, no. <laughs> Whatever they put in to replace him, it's going to be worse, even worse than Boris Johnson. Because anybody decent just won't get a look in. And we saw recently the UK government, uh, pretty Patel, she 
was in favor of Julian Assange being extradited to the United States. Was there any reaction in the UK about that move at all? Well, not a lot, no. It was briefly reported in the press, but that was it. Right. But, I mean, this, this is to destroy the free press and destroy journalism, to prevent people from reporting on crimes by the government. That's what it's being done for. I mean, the UK only supports human rights when when they, they can use it for propaganda, the same as the US. They only, they, only, they only talk about human rights when they can do it, when it to further their, their foreign policy goals and wars and whatever. I mean, it's a complete, complete travesty of human rights to lock up a journalist for reporting the truth, because that's what he did, or publishing the truth. From information supply, just like just like newspapers have been doing for over a hundred years, they get a leak from somebody in the government and they publish it, don't they? That's been going on for over a hundred years. Now, I was just say when the U.S. under Donald Trump, Mike Pompeo was actively discussing a shootout outside the embassy, which is a block from Harrods. It's yeah. like having a shootout. It's, next door. it's not even a block away. It's next door. It's over the road. It's across the street. Right. <laughs> Yes. I was trying to describe it to someone recently, and I said, because when I first saw how close it was to the department store Harrods, I was stunned by how close it was. It's a yeah. kitty quarter across the street. And uh, the fact that the U.S. was discussing a, a gunfight. A kidnapping and shootout on the streets of London, yeah. <laughs> and and why didn't the the U.K.? Take that. I know you don't know, Ian, but shouldn't have they have taken that into account when they were looking at Assange's extradition? Well, they should have done, yes. I don't know. I, I mean, they did it in the trial report on how Assange was being spied on within the embassy. I don't know whether the, the assassination, proposed assassination, was discussed in the, in the extradition hearing. But, I mean, all these things can be brought up now in the appeal, because it's not over for Assange, because they're going to appeal it again. Right? And all the stuff that they might not have been able to get through in the first instance... They will raise now as reasons why he shouldn't be extradited, like they threatened to assassinate him. Now, I don't remember that being a big thing that they raised. Right? It was more his health and suicide prospects and whatever else, wasn't it, that they did their main argument on before. But there's all sorts of things they can raise. I mean, it's not over. It's not going to be over for ages yet because there's, there's still going to be court appeals. Well, I mean, I you know, I agree. And I think you're right. I think they, they complained mostly about Assange's mental health. I just want to step back and remind people, think about how insane it is. This is a guy who's a citizen of Australia. And uh, he didn't sign, you know, I, I was in the defense industry for, for a while. I had to sign agreements about when I received top secret information about not publishing it, obviously. And, but, you know, I signed that voluntary agreement. I'm also a U.S. citizen. So there could be some understanding that maybe I'm supposed to, you know, protect a classified information, although I don't think that should apply to people who haven't signed explicit documents. But this is a guy who's an Australian citizen, never signed anything like this, and released information that was sent to him uh, so that people would know the atrocities that the United States was committing. I mean, the 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 idea that this is anything other than blatant uh, political oppression is absolutely ridiculous and 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 I I I'm disappointed that so few American politicians 
are saying boo about it. They don't know even Trump. You know, people loved Trump. A lot of people loved Trump, and they thought he was the the renegade guy. He could have pardoned Assange on his way out. He didn't. He should have done. Sure. But, I mean, then he appointed appointed someone like Pompeo as CIA director. And then Secretary of State, Pompeo. And he was the one that came up with the assassination plot, wasn't he? Yeah. Why have they no, not used no, that plot in arguments? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they might have been might have been banned f- from using it. I don't know. I don't know what the rules were. Right? But I mean, on the on the next appeal, they they can use other stuff as well that weren't mentioned in the first extradition hearing. Now, Ian, in this country, the United States, we all know what an embarrassment Joe Biden is. In the UK, when you talk to people, just regular people. Do they know all the gaffes and falling off his bicycle and tripping down the stairs and they can't speak coherently? Are they aware of how embarrassing Joe Biden is? No, not if they only only look at the mainstream media because very little of it is, is reported. Very little. They all try and cover up and protect him. Right? So I, I haven't... I, I mean, I saw one little piece on Joe Biden falling off his bike... Right. But then that was that wasn't very very you know satirical or antagonistic against him or anything. <laughs> I mean, because that's a metaphor for the U.S. and the U.S. economy, isn't it? It just fell off its bike. <laughs> that's the U.S. empire and the U.S. economy in one in one in one ten second clip. And and Carter, do you have any? Because we're almost we're getting near the end of the segment. Do you have any other broad questions for Ian Schilling in the U.K.? Well. Well, we haven't really spoken about the rail workers, and I'm not sure. I mean, we did a little bit. We touched on it, but I'm not sure I understand exactly what's going on other than that strikes are are happening. But um, what's the – maybe you can just tell the audience what's the main point of contention here uh, with all these – Official inflation is 9%, and they always understate it. So it's a lot more than nine percent. This was twelve, fifteen percent, or maybe more. I don't know. So, the, so the railway unions are demanding a a double figure wage increase. So ten or twelve percent wage increase. They they they're demanding, right? Because the cost of living's just gone up by nine percent officially. So they're saying we need we need we need a, a a big pay rise, right? And you know. The rail unions are only the first, and all the other unions are going to join in and say, well, I mean, it's officially printed in April, it was 9%, and in May, it's 9.1%. They're all going to demand big pay rises. This is going back to the, to the 1970s, when there were huge amounts of strike. This was the last oil crisis in the 1970s, so huge amounts of strikes in the UK, and the country was in chaos. We had power blackouts and strikes all over the place. All the, all the garbage men went on went on strike because they didn't get a pay rise, and there was garbage piled up in the streets of London. Right, we're going to get we're going to get that again this winter. And I've heard that the rail the rail strike is expected to go, go on some. So you don't expect the Johnson government to give in on that pay increase, do you, Ian? Well, they're going to fight hard against it because it's not just the rail unions, is it? It's every every you know blue collar worker. So yeah, it's the, the rail unions. It'll be the teachers will be on going on strike. The healthcare workers will be going on strike. The the postal union is going to go on strike. Yeah, all of them, all the all of the unions, the big unions, are going to demand big pay rises. 
Yeah, I mean, conceding to uh, pay raise demand is is an admission of the reality of the impact of inflation, and that hits everyone. And I mean, almost everyone in the population. And you know, probably the Queen doesn't care, but yeah. you know, most people so, care yeah. about inflation. Everybody right? else does, yes. <laughs> yeah, and so this, it, you know, conceding on a point like that is kind of an admission to everyone that this is a real problem. Yeah. And it's going to happen all over you. I mean, the Fe I haven't heard about the French going on strike yet. And that's certainly going on strike, but I'm sure the French will. There was a big protest in Brussels over the weekend. about 20 or 30,000 people in Brussels uh, protesting about the cost of living increases. So uh, you don't get protests in Brussels. It doesn't happen. It's very rare to get a protest in Brussels. And 20 or 30,000 people were protesting against the massive inflation. So I mean, Belgium's you... going to get it. going to get it. The amazing thing in the UK to me is that no politicians see the opening. B Boris Johnson has been in political trouble for months, and there's no one taking advantage, no one stepping up to become the next leader. And I don't think you're going to see that from Labour. Is there any possibility Keir Starmer is going to be able to make any political in Rhodes, I don't see anybody stepping up to take over for Johnson. Kiss Starmer's worse than Johnson. He's a total globalist. He supports the corporations and the billionaire oligarchs. He's not, he's, he's not for the working people at all. I mean, Keir Starmer was in trouble as well because he had his own party gate thing where he had beer and beer and pizzas and whatever in the office when there was um, gatherings were supposed to be banned. So he had his own party gate thing, which was less reported, but he, he still had the same thing. So you uh, thought you were blackpilled about America, Carter. Imagine being in England. There's no hope. Oh, yeah, I would be more blackpilled. I mean, look, I, I guess I, I don't know if this is true, but my in my imagination, Brexit at least moves the UK away from the World Economic Forum crap going on, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, no Boris Johnson is all signed up to the World Economic Forum crap. I mean... See, there, the, there you go. We're out of time, unfortunately. Great conversation with Ian Schilling, Carter Lahren as the guest host today. And in the first hour, great conversation with Ma Sheree from Black Guns Matter. We'll see you tomorrow on the backstory.